usually uh, like the one that they stick on your ear and it kind of pinches your ear, but it makes you look like a rock star. So that, you know, and at my age, I need all the help that I can get. But, uh, but anyway, um, the reason that I want to use this tonight is because you're going to be a part of what's going to happen here. So I need this mic for you as well as for me, and I'm going to get a music stand over here to stick my Bible on. And uh, you notice how Antley kind of ends things for you? You know, like, like tonight, you know, what we did was, well, now I'm going to walk over here and get my Bible. And uh, But I'm also, as I do that, or before I do that, I brought some cards tonight that I want to pass out and stick them in your purse or your pocket or, or pass them on if you don't care to do that. This is uh, about a website that we built uh, a couple of years ago, and it's called uh, KingdomRain.net. Um, one word, but it's R-A-I-N rather than R-E-I-G-N. And uh, we built this really to uh, advocate the kingdom message and ministry of Jesus, both uh, biblically and also in terms of the life of the church today. So um, we refresh this regularly. Um, I write a Bible study in Mark's gospel on uh, kind of on the kingdom, and it appears weekly. We do a lot of different articles and things like that. We also have a forum, and we have now close to 900 people in the forum, and you can all join that and just interact on stuff that comes up on the website or anything. That you see. And uh, it's been pretty neat because we built uh, kind of a you know virtual community among a lot of people who are in ministry um, in this country and and some now abroad and what have you. So anyway, just wanted to let you know about that. You might want to check into that. Um, do you guys bring Bibles? Here, do you have Bibles here? Can't read them anyway; it's too dark. I'll read to you. Don't worry about it. Um, you know, like if you were really a happening, emerging church, you'd have candles here at night. You realize that? It's okay. Uh, Antley and I come out of the Reformed tradition, and we blew the candles out a long time ago. <laughs> this this is absolutely nothing to do with anything. But uh, years ago, I was traveling in Europe. I had just had graduated from college, and uh, Went through these cathedrals, and if you've ever done that, like St. Mark's in Venice and St. Peter's in Rome and what have you, uh, it's a shock for like a really hardcore Protestant because of all the statues and all the, you know, candles and and, and everything. And I can remember going to Geneva, John Calvin, the great reformer uh, who uh, laid the foundation, much of the theological foundation for the, certainly for the Reformed Church, but for the Protestant Church in many, many ways. And uh, anyway, um, he... You know, Geneva was his city, and St. Peter's was the medieval cathedral of Geneva, uh, and, uh, you know, and it's, it's really the center of, of old, old Geneva there. And, and Calvin, you know, was the reformer of, of that city. Anyway, so we'd gone through all these different cathedrals, and uh, again, like I'm, like I'm a young lifer, hardcore Protestant, okay? So, you know, all, the, all the, the kind of the religious icons and, you know, and all that stuff, the incense and everything, it's just not... You know, it's not my background. I'm not critical of it. Matter of fact, I'm going to be with over 400 charismatic Roman Catholics for the next week, so that's going to be pretty wild. You know, I mean, we're going to have a wild time over the Wyndham. You know, you know, if you like, if the roof catches on fire, these are people who come from all over the world, and they're really at the heart of the charismatic renewal in the Roman Catholic Church, which is wonderful. You know, really, really wonderful. But anyway, so having gone through all these cathedrals with my old Protestant, you know, uh, you know, operating. We walked into um, St. Peter's in Geneva, 
big, huge Gothic cathedral. And it was amazing because no statues, you know, no candles, no nothing. It was, like, it was like this hurricane, you know, had blown through that cathedral and blew everything out. And all there was was a big high central pulpit, a little table um, with a vase of flowers and an open Bible. That was it. And, uh, and, and symbolism is so profound, isn't it? It really is. You know, you know I'm, I'm sure if I'd gone to services there, I wouldn't have a clue as to what had been preached on on that Sunday. But I can remember so vividly, and it was almost, you know, like the, the whole kind of almost antithesis or counterpoint to so much of the other, you know, uh, symbolism that I've been experiencing on this trip. And that has nothing to do with anything at all. It's a totally irrelevant point. Um, but but the, the only thing that I can try to do to rescue the fact that my mind made that association, and now I've shared it with you, is to say, this is your symbolism. It is. You know, and, uh, when people come in here and... Uh, uh, and, and they share in this worship and, and, and the ministry that we've already had tonight and what have you. All of this is not simply, you know, it's not simply ideology or concepts or theology, but we are uh, uh, kind of living out and acting out and representing the reality of who we are and what Jesus Christ has done in our lives and what he's doing right now. And, and it, it is an ability to pray come Holy Spirit because we really expect the third person of the triune God in a very special and intentional way will respond to that prayer. And so, so we're, you know, we're, you know, we may not have candles and stained glass. Uh, I don't know. What is the glass here? I haven't figured that out yet. But anyway, um, stained, <laughs> you know, and, and hey, you know, and, and we, we might not even have a small table with an open Bible and a vase of flowers, you know, but we are representing in the way that we live together the reality of what we believe. And, and that's the important point. It's not architecture. Now, Paul says, you are the body of Christ and individually members one of another. That's the reality. The reality is that you're the church. You don't go to church. The church comes with you. Um, I said that to, you know, one of your uh, more elder-type uh, couples earlier today. You know, the, the people, for those of you who are here this morning, that came back from the, from the Cuba trip, they brought church with them this morning. You know, because what they did was they came and shared what they'd experienced, what they'd seen God do. And it was really wonderful. It was just precious. And, uh, and it's kind of like, you know, who wouldn't want to go to Cuba under those circumstances and with that kind of an anointing and miss out what these folks experienced in the most, you know, you know poverty-stricken and, and very, uh, you know, very uh, kind of bare and gritty ways. And stepping into that. And, and the, the great thing about that is that you realize, yeah, that the church is the people. It's what God's doing. It's not the buildings. It's not the paraphernalia uh, that, we, that we carry with us. But that's the reality, and that's the reality here tonight. Uh, the reality is the church is here because you're here. And when you leave, the church leaves. And the church is going to be scattered across Jacksonville and beyond for the next week, but it will gather again. And, uh, and uh, anyway, that pulled me out of the Geneva story. Anyway, um, if, you have, <laughs> if you have a Bible, uh, no, you can't do this. I'm reading it to you. See, I'm so, I'm so used to doing that. If you have a Bible, turn with me to it. See, like, one of the good things about the uptight, stuffy, somewhat controlling and organized Presbyterians is that they, in the, in the hardcore tradition, they always carry their Bibles to church. So that's a good thing. 
Anyway, I'm going to read a passage to you. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And uh, on his way, he passes through Jericho. This is in Mark's Gospel. I'm going to read from chapter 10, starting at verse 46. And uh, Jesus has come out of Galilee, out of the north, above Galilee, where he has gathered his uh, inner circle of disciples and and uh, asked the big question, who, who do you say that I am? And Peter's confessed that he's the Messiah. And then Jesus talks about going to Jerusalem to suffer and die. And they start this journey south, and uh, they come to Jericho, which is right at the bottom of the Judean hills on the eastern side. And then they have to wind their way up uh, to Jerusalem itself. Now, here's the text. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, that is, son of Timaeus, that's in parentheses, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up. (laughs) I'm not sure that he needed that but maybe he did cheer up on your feet he's calling you throwing his cloak aside he jumped to his feet and came to jesus what do you want me to do for you jesus asked him the blind man said rabbi i want to see go jesus said you're healed you immediately he received his sight and followed jesus along the road may god bless his word to us Let's pray for a moment. Lord, we pray that uh, as you pass through Jericho, pass through here tonight, Lord, uh, because there's some Bartimaeuses in this room. And we pray, Lord, that you just extend your love, mercy, grace, and healing and power and life to us tonight. Thank you for what you've already done as we've been worshiping you and praying uh, for uh, for folks tonight, Lord. And thank you for uh, the promise that you'll build your church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. So, Lord... Help us to be that battering ram, uh, sieging hell itself and setting the captives free. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, uh, as we mentioned, Jesus is journeying on his way to Jerusalem. Of course, this is the season of Passover. We've just celebrated that in going through kind of the Easter period of, of the calendar year. And, uh, and so he's, he's uh, on his way. And he's joined by a great multitude of people, all the pilgrims that are coming to Jerusalem for this great feast. It's been estimated that at least a quarter of a million people came to Jerusalem. And the city itself, the population probably was somewhere around 50,000, give or take a, a little. But, but it just swelled up to this overwhelming mass of people who came. And uh, they camped outside the city and, you know, filled the city and, uh, and, 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 and celebrated the exodus. God delivering his people from Egypt and uh, also, of course, uh, slaying the Passover lambs uh, as... Uh, as uh, God's uh, remedy for sin, uh, the wrath that should have fallen upon, fallen upon their firstborn, as well as the firstborn in Egypt, uh, uh, the substitute was provided in these Passover lambs, and the wrath uh, was, was, uh, was lifted from them. So two things happened in the Exodus. They got out of Egypt. The wrath of God was lifted from them, and they were delivered and, of course, made their uh, somewhat longer than they planned on journey to the Promised Land. But that, that's, that's what they're celebrating as they come up to Jerusalem. So... This great crowd of pilgrims is on its journey, and Jesus very intentionally is on his journey to Jerusalem at this point in his ministry, at this point in the season, because as John the Baptist has 
heralded him at the beginning of John's gospel. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus is very intentional going to Jerusalem. He knows that uh, as he's prophesied to his disciples, they haven't, they haven't understood this at all, that he's going there to suffer and die, uh, that he will be put to death, but he will be raised from the dead. And in his death, the sin and the judgment, the sin will be taken, the judgment will fall on him, it should fall on you and me because of our sin. And so, like in the first exodus, this is the last exodus. This is the final deliverance. And Jesus has come to set us free from Satan's kingdom, to bring us into the kingdom of God, and to, uh, to fulfill God's just judgment, which stands against us because of our sin, and open the door for his mercies. And you and I have, uh, most of us here tonight, have, have come into that grace, which uh, Jesus has uh, as, uh, gives to us and uh, the ground for it, which is accomplished for us in his death on the cross. So there he is. He's with this great crowd of people. They go through Jericho, and, and, and they're getting ready to start this climb up to Jerusalem, up through the Judean hills. And uh, as Jesus goes through, uh, through Jerusalem, here's a man begging, sitting by the side of the road. And his name, uh, given here in Mark's gospel, is, uh, is Bartimaeus. And then uh, Mark translates this uh, for us, namely, son, bar, of Timaeus. Bar, Timaeus, son of Timaeus. So here he is sitting by the side of the road. Now, Bartimaeus is an interesting guy because, first of all, he's obviously, in, in the context, when he cries out to Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, he's heard some things about Jesus. And here's a beggar in Jericho, but he's heard that there's this guy up north who's actually healing people. <laughs> And he's, the word's out, and again and again, the Gospels give reference to this both in some specific ways, but also in general summaries, that Jesus', uh, Jesus uh, uh, kingdom ministry is overcoming what sin and Satan has done uh, to, uh, to disrupt and to pervert and to destroy God's good creation. And so, among other things, Jesus heals blind people. He pops their eyes open. And Bartimaeus has heard this, that Jesus actually heals blind people. And then, you know, so, so the word's out, and it's come in some form to Bartimaeus that this is the guy. And Bartimaeus knows, because he calls him this son of David, uh, that, that, that the word is also out that, that this, this one could well be the Messiah. He could be the one who's come to set God's people free and fulfill his promises to David and all of that. And so, uh, so you know, this, this whole messianic buzz is in the air. And Jesus, now, now Bartimaeus has heard that Jesus himself, down from the north, he's in your town, he's in your, you know, your city, and he's actually passing through the gates, and he's on his way to Jerusalem, and it's not just Jesus, it's his disciples, but also there's this pilgrim crowd. So there could be hundreds of people passing out of the gates of the city, who knows, but this big crowd, you could imagine the dust that's being kicked up, and the noise, and the smells, and all this stuff that's going on as Jesus is passing out of the city, and here's Bartimaeus, and, and, and Bartimaeus knows this is his moment. This is moment. And I want to, you know, let's just look at the text and, and, and say a word about this, 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 this man. What, what do we, what's the setup? What do we learn about him? And, uh, and, and these may have some relevant points for you and for me tonight. First of all, the guy doesn't even have a name. He's son of, you know, Timaeus. And then Mark puts that in parentheses for us, you know, you know, uh, Greek-speaking, Hellenistic, you know, out in the empire people. Like, we wouldn't even know what Bartimaeus means. But he doesn't even have a name. You know, he's, he's identified by his father, 
but, but, but what's his name? You know, it, Jesus is son of Joseph or son of Mary, uh, which is kind of a slam uh, because you're, you would, would legally be called son of your father. But in Mark's gospel, they, there's this phrase son of Mary, which is some hint as to his virgin birth and the charge that he was illegitimate, what have you, that was kind of circulating around. That's another story. But you can, be, you can be identified by where you've come from, Jesus of Nazareth, or by your father, son of Joseph. But Bartimaeus has no name in the text. And you kind of, you, you kind of, you kind of feel this like, like he doesn't even have an identity. You know, he's just, he's just known in a certain sense by, by the people around him or by his family context. But, but who's he in that? So that's the first thing that I see in the text. I don't want to make too big a deal out of it, but there are a lot of people who can identify right at this point with Bartimaeus because, because and there's some, there could be some of us in the room, you know, we struggle for our own identity. We're constantly being defined by everybody else. We're defined by our parents, by our economic status, racial background, by, uh, you know, where we're going to school or what we've accomplished or, you know, or, uh, you know, uh, husband, wife, children, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, we're d- defined by all these different things. But who are you in the middle of this? And, 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 and uh, all that we know of this guy is that he was the son of somebody else. There are a lot of people. I mean, this is a struggle for people growing up in our culture today who, who find themselves defined not by who they are, but by, this, you know, by, by the context in which they're living. And let me tell you, Folks, it's not enough to be defined by your context. It's not enough. That there's a huge emptiness in people who are simply defined by their context. And in this uh, very pop-dominated culture that we have today, um, you know, with, with celebrity culture and what have you, you, you these people, you know, they're drinking, they, you know, they're crashing, they're in court, you know, they're, they're you know, they create scandal, you know, to, to, to keep their face in front of the public and all of that. You know, and it goes on and on and on and on. But, but if you look just below the surface of all these reports, you feel this amazing emptiness as they move from bed to bed and person to person, marriage to and they club each other along the way and curse each other and put each other down, and they get hot pressed for that. But the question is, in the middle of all of that, who are you? And so that's the first thing. Uh, Bartimaeus is, is you know, suffering from, you know, from, from that question, and, and maybe you are tonight. But I'll tell you the way out of that, and that is to have Jesus call you. Because, look, I'm here tonight because Jesus Christ defines my life. He defined it when he made me before I was ever born, but he defined me when he called me into a relationship with himself. He defines my life. And he is about ready to define Blind Bartimaeus' life, which is pretty cool. Okay, so that's the first thing, the, the whole identity issue. Okay, the second thing is that, of course, um, as Mark says, when they were leaving the city, uh, a blind man, Bartimaeus. So not only, you know, is he ill-defined, but he has a systemic problem. <laughs> and his systemic problem is that he's blind, for crying out loud. Now, we don't know if he was born blind or if he was in some tragic accident along the way. Um, I have a good friend who was lost his sight uh, in an automobile accident in his 20s. He's a realtor in La Jolla, California, a very kind of pricey uh, little community on the coast of Southern California. And he's a, an incredible Christian man. And this is kind of neat. He came into our little vineyard church one Sunday morning for the first time uh, with his seeing-eye dog, a great animal, German Shepherd, 
There they, you know, they sat down, and, and I was speaking from John 9 on the man born blind. <laughs> it was amazing, you know. I, you know, I wish me faith had just popped those eyes right back in, 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 in his skull. But, uh, but anyway, uh, you know, uh, who sinned? Uh, you, you know, uh, Jesus asked, or the disciples asked the question, who sinned? Did this man sin, you know, or, or what? So that he was blind. Or, uh, and, and Jesus says, you know, that, that's not it. But his blindness is for the glory of God. Of course, the Lord was ready to heal him and declare that he was the light of the world. But that text went right to this man's heart, and he became a part of our church with his dog. And that was great, very, very special. But, uh, but anyway, Bartimaeus has a systemic problem, a problem that just goes down to the core of who he is. And it's really defined his life, hasn't it? There he is begging by this gate into Jericho, and there he is, I'm sure, day after day after day after day. And you can, you can see how his life, probably in so many ways, was organized around this systemic issue. And many of us have systemic issues. And they organize a lot of our life, a lot of our time and energy. Again and again over the years, you know, I've been with people who are, you know, who've been uh, violated as children, who've been sexually abused or used, uh, who, uh, who have, uh, uh, you, you know, apparent addictions and, and chemical dependency and, and, and things that, that, that have happened in their lives or abandonment issues and what have you. And they really are systemic and they, they define so much of their life. And this is true of Bartimaeus. So the second thing that we learn about him is that he's blind, okay? He's, he's you know, he has no identifiable uh, person in the text and he's blind. And, and, and so he's got a systemic issue. And the third thing we learn is that he's begging. So he's broke. You know, he's a beggar. And you can just imagine, like, like every day, wherever he was living, you know, being led to or, or kind of groping his way to his little spot by the gate and having to sit there all day long begging for enough money to be able to get through another day. So circumstances, adversity is, I mean, it's so much a part of his life, you probably didn't even think about it. There's a time which you just numb out to that. Until, in a sense, somebody calls it to your attention, <laughs> you know, that your life is so trashed, that your life is so, circumstances are so overwhelming. And, and again, uh, they, they tend to organize your life. And so this man's a beggar, um, and, 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 and his circum, the circumstance against him in that. Um, and he just is dependent on the goodwill of people as they pass by uh, to even make it through another day. And... Uh, Again, there are a lot of people who can identify with that, and I know that you're just physically, you know, on a, on a site where there are a lot of people who could identify with that because, you know, they're, they're ministered to, and some may be here tonight. Uh, they're all over our streets. Um, they're the homeless. They're the poor. They're the addicted. They're the, the, the runnable who've been excluded and left out or who've been so hurt and wounded that, uh, that they're dying on the streets somewhere or they're dying somewhere. When God called our little vineyard church, uh, into being in the late 80s. He told us to go to the poor, and I just prayed, you know, and, and said, well, Lord, I don't know, what does that mean? Do you make peanut butter sandwiches and go to downtown San Diego on Sunday and pass them out? And that's not a bad thing, by the way, except you'll be arrested for it because there are food laws that keep you from doing it. But that's not a bad thing, and people do that, and they get away with it at least for a while. But uh, I was just praying about that, just asking the Lord, what, what do you want us to do? And then the Lord brought to my mind a friend of mine who's a psychologist, and he actually is an, an, in an AIDS clinic right on the coast uh, in a little beach town below us called uh, Pacific Beach, uh, and, and then on to Mission Beach. And uh, 
Anyway, he, he, you know, has been in that community for a long time. So I went down, he became a Christian through our ministry, and I went and spent some time with him. He said, you know, you want to minister to the poor? Let me introduce you to them. <laughs> so I started meeting homeless people and, uh, and all people living like, you know, in little corners of garages and in alleys and things like that. And, uh, and, and we actually, and I want to tell you this, this is a matter of pride. It's just a matter of obedience and in some ways, you know, not, not great obedience on our part. But I know God's called you to this, so that's why I say this to you tonight. And that is we ended up spending about 25% of our budget on the homeless in, in San Diego. And uh, the guy who heads this ministry now, I've been retired for a few years from the church, but he was a drug addict who came off the streets in, in our ministry. And we feed every day. We feed seven days a week uh, and uh, in a big park in, in that area down there. But but this then leads me to the point that I wanted to make out of this, and that is that what we discovered um, in our area, and of course we're a beach community, we're on the west coast, we're on the east, east coast here, but what we discovered is that so many of the older men <clears throat> on the streets are Vietnam vets. They went to Vietnam. The North Vietnamese very graciously provided them with free drugs. They became addicted. They came back to nothing. No welcome, no, 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 uh, you know, no military parades, no, uh, no hugs at the airport, no nothing. And, 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 and these are broken lives. As one of, one of my friends said to me, he said, Don, when you're on the streets, a six-pack makes a pretty soft pillow at night. And they're dying out there. And, uh, and, and so, uh, again, you know, Bartimaeus' life is organized around the, the, the poverty and the systemic issue in his life. And, uh, and, and there he is. And they're all around us. They're all around us. And one of the things that we can pray for is, Lord, give me the eyes to see. Help me to see. Because a lot of them are kind of in hiding in, in so many different ways. I don't want to go way off on that tonight. But it's the heart of Jesus Good news to the poor. Go read about it in Luke's Gospel in chapter 4. Good news to the poor. Okay? So anyway, so, so nameless son of Bartimaeus, uh, who is uh, blind and a beggar, he's got another problem, too. He's there begging beside the roadside. And then he hear, hears this guy who's healing blind people up north is actually in our town and he's on his way to Jerusalem and and there's a big crowd coming and he's he's there he's 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 in the crowd and and the word gets to Bartimaeus you could just imagine all the confusion and everything going on around and so in the midst of all the noise and uh, you know and, and 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 all of that he begins shouting Jesus son of David have mercy on me now here's Bartimaeus's fourth problem <clears throat> identity systemic problem Life circumstances, you know, what have you. Okay, here's his fourth problem. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. <laughs> so, you know, not, so here he is, and it's this one moment of a lifetime. Jesus himself is passing by, and the crowd is saying, you know, shut up, you idiot. Uh, you know, and, and the people around him start, you know, start just dissing him because he's crying out to Jesus. And let me tell you, you know, on this journey, you know, all of us struggle with identity. All of us have systemic problems. It's called original sin, if you want to know the doctrinal basis for that point. 
we'll just leave it right there. Um, you know, all of us have, you know, adversity in our lives. And then there's the crowd. It's the crowd of the cool and the sophisticated. And it's the crowd of the religious and the important and the self-important. You know, and, and when people start crying out to Jesus, it's okay to talk about your spirituality in our culture today, right? That's, you know, that, that, that's... That's a thing to do, you know, to be into spiritual things or, or whatever, you know. And, and it's even okay to talk about God as long as you keep it somewhat vague. But you start yelling out, Jesus, you know, Son of David, have mercy on me. Reaction's going to set right in on you. And uh, you can't mention that name. You can't bring that up, you know. And, and, uh, and so the crowd now tells him to shut up. It's his moment. And the crowd says, it's not your moment. You have no moment, you idiot. You know, you begging blind man, stay right where you are. Stay in your place. You know, stay, you know, stay in your little spot that's been marked out for you by the gate. Don't bother him. Don't yell like that. Don't embarrass us. Don't humiliate us. You know, maybe some were thinking, you know, Jesus is way too important for you. Not knowing that Jesus had, had come exactly, you know, for, for Bartimaeus. So this is, you know, this is many journeys, you know, to Jesus. And, and we may not be able to, you know, in a sense, identify with every point here. But when you get serious about the Lord, really serious about the Lord, the opposition is going to set in. Be prepared for that. I don't want to go way off on this tonight, but I want to tell you, men and women, we're in a spiritual battle. Satan is the god of this world. He blinds the minds of the unbelievers. He disguises himself as an angel of light. He sends False prophets, uh, you know, into our midst who can even perform signs and wonders, but who, you know, but, but, but Jesus says of them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Paul says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against these demonic powers and, of, 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 of fallen angels and super angels that stand against us. We're in a huge spiritual battle. And when we start talking about Jesus and when we start crying out to Jesus, the opposition is going to set in, sets in from people who, you know, don't want to be bothered or who are embarrassed about the, you know, Jesus and all of that. Or who have, you know, many people who have, you know, wounds from the church and, the, and they've been turned off by the church and, and stuff like that. There's a lot of reasons for the opposition. But the enemy doesn't want you to talk about Jesus. You can talk about God or your spirituality, but the enemy doesn't want you to talk about Jesus. You know, now you're bringing the big subject up. <laughs> so... Bartimaeus is crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd reacts to him and, uh, and tells him to be quiet. Now, this is the love with Bartimaeus. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more. <laughs> Look, when you have no name and you're blind and you're broke and Jesus is passing by, and you think maybe he could change everything about your life. You know, who gives a tinker's damn about the crowd? You know, I've got stronger words, but this is church. You know, you know, who, you know and, and, and so, you know, you've got you to gotta, like, give one, one to blind pass, right, for this. Uh, John Wimber used to say that uh, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And, uh, and, and this guy's w- willing to risk Everything, and in a certain sense, he doesn't have anything to risk. Why not go for it? You know, I mean, when you're so reduced, and this, you know, sometimes this is the way God works in our lives. We're so reduced, but Jesus is the only option. One of my dearest friends, his name's Tommy Brewer. He 
is a great testimony, but he's dying of heroin. He was, he was addicted, and he was literally dying in his room. And he kind of heard about Jesus, and, and he knew that he, he felt himself dying. And he just cried out in the darkness, Jesus, help me. And his room lit up. I have another dear friend who became a vineyard pastor, Mark McCoy. He died of cancer a few years ago. He was dying of his heroin addiction. He wasn't dead yet, but he was heavily addicted, and he was pulling the acoustical tile out of his room looking for a stash, and uh, he was on his way. He was a musician, a rock and roll musician. He was on his way to Europe to tour, and his sister walked in on him, and he was beginning to go through withdrawals. He was feeling the pain and the sweats and stuff. His sister walked in and started talking to him about Jesus as he's ripping the acoustical tile out of you know, out of his apartment, and uh, um, anyway, uh, you know, she just started talking about Jesus, and, and and Mark just started listening. They spent the whole night, and uh, Mark opened up his heart to Jesus, asked him to come in, got filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues, and was healed of his heroin addiction, and never went through withdrawals. Never went through withdrawals. And he'd gone through withdrawals several times before, and he knew exactly what that was. He never went through withdrawals. And he became one of the great evangelists as well as worship leaders and songwriters of his generation. And since he was like Bartimaeus, I mean, you know, <laughs> had everything to gain and nothing to lose by saying, Jesus, have mercy on me. So Bartimaeus shouts all the louder. And sometimes, folks, don't get discouraged. Just shout louder, okay? You think Jesus doesn't pay attention. You think he's not answering your prayers. You've got issues that haven't been addressed. Just keep on shouting, okay? Especially when the crowd resists your shouts, okay? So he shouts all the more, and Jesus stops. Verse 49. Jesus stopped and said, call him. Yeah, and here the crowd saying, shut up. You know, you're an embarrassment. Quit calling Jesus and blah, 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 blah. So then Jesus stops and says, call him. You can just kind of, you can kind of feel the crowd part as he does that. So they call to the blind man, cheer up. <laughs> it's just a reversal. You know, they shut up and now cheer up. <laughs> you know, cheer up. On your feet, he's calling you. So Mark says, throwing his cloak aside, he just, here I go. He jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Now, this is the big question. Verse 51, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? You know, he's cried out for mercy. What do you want me to do for you? And uh, Bartimaeus has no doubt about the answer. I want to see. And he's just, you know, you could just see him looking at Jesus. But, if, you know, if you're on camera, you know, it would just be these, you know, white holes in his head, you know, just, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. He was out of there. <laughs> no more by the gate for me. Now, my spot, somebody else can take that. I'm out of here. And, uh, and, and that wraps the story. Isn't that great? Oh, this tells us something about the desperation that you and I, in some ways in our lives, can identify with. Some of you have systemic issues. Some of you feel 
overwhelmed by your circumstances. Some of you feel like that, you know, I've never really had a solid sense of my own identity. I want to tell you, only God can give you that solid sense of your identity. And that's what Jesus has come to do, to restore what's been stolen and lost or fractured, however you want to understand it. You've been made in the image of God. Jesus wants to recreate you in his own image. And you can know who you are in relationship to him. And nobody can ever steal that from you. But then, you know, some of us are determined by, by the crowd, by the response of the crowd. So if they say stop it, you know, we, we stop it. Just, you know, we don't want to offend people and we don't want to look stupid and all that. But we may be able to identify with Bartimaeus in, in a number of ways. And so we learn something about ourselves. We see this man, but we learn just an amazing thing about Jesus. And that is that, uh, you know, again, like in his parable of the Good Samaritan, you know, Jesus is the Good Samaritan. He doesn't pass by on the other side. You know, he sees us lying there, bloodied, beaten, dying, and he stops. You know, he, he's, he's the one who stops. And he, he gives first aid, and then he takes responsibility for our recovery, which is exactly the heart of that parable of what it means to love your neighbor. That's who Jesus is. That's what Jesus does. And, you know, you can't find an instance in the gospel where Jesus says, look, I'm too busy. I'm sorry, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, or, or whatever. You know, he's constantly stopping. Uh, Dick Halverson, who was the chaplain of the United States Senate for some years, said that Jesus' ministry was defined by his interruptions. You know, he was constantly being interrupted by people, and that was his ministry, you know, as he was on, on that journey uh, to go to the cross to really uh, pay, pay for our sins. And so... Uh, we learned something, you know, incredibly wonderful about Jesus tonight, and that is that when, when we cry out, he stops. But this is the question, and it's the question tonight, and that is, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Now we want to just uh, just kind of sit before the Lord for a moment, okay? <clears throat> Lord, we, we really invite your spirit now to come in a very special way. We know that you're here, Lord. But we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you ministered in the power of the spirit and that uh, you're here tonight, risen Savior, reigning Savior, and that your spirit is poured out upon us. And the question you asked Bartimaeus so long ago is the question that you continue to ask each of us. What do you want me to do for you? Now, Lord, I pray for favor tonight upon us. I pray, Lord, for the faith for us to join Bartimaeus in crying out with a question. Uh, with a call, with a cry. Son of David, have mercy on me. Give us... Give us your favor tonight to be able to call out to you. But, Lord, I pray as well that you'll, you'll then address us with this question, what do you want me to do for you? Now, I just want to wait for a couple of minutes in silence, and, and, and I just want to invite you to pray right now. And just ask the Lord to show you uh, what you want him or need him to do for you tonight. What do you need him to do? 
There might be someone here tonight who just really needs to know Jesus. You might say, well, you know, if I were really honest, Don, uh, I just need to move into that relationship with him. You know, I need to know him. I may have known about him, or I might just be uh, here for the first time tonight. But if Jesus is the one who opens blind eyes and who has mercy, that's what I need. I need I need his healing. I, I need my eyes to be opened. And, and he's right here for you tonight. You can come to know him tonight and start this new life with him. And you can get right out of the spot that you've occupied, maybe over the years, where, you, where you've been stuck. And you can have the advantage following after Jesus and joining a great crowd of folks who are doing the same. But there may be others of us here tonight, and, and I'm sure there are, who would you'd say, well, you know, Don, when it comes down to it, I, you know, what's on my heart tonight is for Jesus to do this. You know, this is what I need from him. So we're just going to wait for a couple minutes, and we're just going to sit here in silence and pray and just try to stay focused on the Lord and just ask him to show you what you need him to do for you tonight. And then we're going to pray.